neither doth the the efficacy. Welcome to Coffee and Confessions. I'm Matt Robertson, and I'm actually drinking some soda right now. I'm drinking a Coke Zero. Well, I've still got two more My Coffee Confessions to share, but I'll wait until next week for those. Uh, Yesterday, I didn't have an episode, and then on Monday and Tuesday of next week, I still won't have an episode for that. Uh, At our church, I'll be preaching two weeks in a row, so I need a little bit of extra time for that. But for now, I'll share the irony of the fact that I just put the finishing touches on a sermon for this Sunday on why we should not baptize infants, and now I'm going to record the Westminster saying that we should baptize infants. So, let's get right into it. Chapter 27 of the Sacraments, Paragraph 1. Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace, immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits, and to confirm our interest in him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. Paragraph 2. There is in every sacrament a spiritual relation, or sacramental union, between the sign and the thing signified, whence it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. Paragraph 3. The grace which is exhibited in or by the sacraments, rightly used, is not conferred by any power in them. Neither doth the efficacy of a sacrament depend upon the piety or intention of him that doth administer it, but upon the work of the Spirit and the word of institution, which contains, together with a precept authorizing the use thereof, a promise of benefit to worthy receivers. Paragraph 4. There be only two sacraments ordained by Christ our Lord in the gospel, that is to say, baptism and the supper of the Lord, neither of which may be dispensed by any but a minister of the word, lawfully ordained. Paragraph 5. The sacraments of the Old Testament, in regard of the spiritual things thereby signified and exhibited, were, for substance, the same with those of the new. Chapter 28 of Baptism Paragraph 1. Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament, ordained by Jesus Christ, not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church, but also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his engrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins, and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life, which sacrament is, by Christ's own appointment, to be continued in his church until the end of the world. Paragraph 2. The outward element to be used in this sacrament is water, wherewith the party is to be baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, by a minister of the gospel, lawfully called thereunto. Paragraph 3. Dipping of the person into the water is not necessary, but baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. Paragraph 4. Not only those that do actually profess faith in and obedience unto Christ, but also the infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized. Paragraph 5. Although it be a great sin to condemn or neglect this ordinance, yet grace and salvation are not so inseparably annexed unto it 
as that no person can be regenerated or saved without it, or that all that are baptized are undoubtedly regenerated. Paragraph 6. The efficacy of baptism is not tied to that moment of time wherein it is administered, yet notwithstanding, by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promised is not only offered, but really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Ghost, to such, whether of age or infants, as that grace belongeth unto, according to the counsel of God's own will, in his appointed time. Paragraph 7. The sacrament of baptism is but once to be administered to any person. Chapter 29. Of the Lord's Supper. Paragraph 1. Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, called the Lord's Supper, to be observed in his church unto the end of the world, for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death, the sealing all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their farther engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and a pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. Paragraph 2. In this sacrament, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sins of the quick or dead, but only a commemoration of that one offering up of himself, by himself, upon the cross, once for all, and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same, so that the popish sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is most abominably injurious to Christ's one only sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. Paragraph 3. The Lord Jesus hath, in this ordinance, appointed his ministers to declare his word of institution to the people, to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby to set them apart from a common to a holy use, and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, and, they communicating also themselves, to give both to the communicants, but to none who are not then present in the congregation. Paragraph 4. Private masses, or receiving the sacrament by a priest, or any other alone, as likewise the denial of the cup to the people, worshipping the elements, the lifting them up, or carrying them about for adoration, and the reserving them for any pretended religious use, are all contrary to the nature of this sacrament, and to the institution of Christ. Paragraph 5. The outward elements in this sacrament, duly set apart to the uses ordained by Christ, have such relation to Him crucified, as that truly, yet sacramentally only, they are sometimes called by the name of the things they represent, to wit the body and blood of Christ. Albeit in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. Paragraph 6. That doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest, or by any other way, is repugnant not to Scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason, overthroweth the nature of the sacrament, and hath been and is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatries. Paragraph 7. Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament, do then also inwardly, by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporately, but spiritually, receive and feed upon Christ crucified, and all benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ 
being then not corporately or carnally in, with, or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance, as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. Paragraph 8. Although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in this sacrament, yet they receive not the things signified thereby, but by their unworthy coming thereunto are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, to their own damnation. Wherefore all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table, and cannot, without great sin against Christ, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries, or be admitted thereunto. Thank you for listening to Coffee and Confessions. I hope this reading of the Westminster Confession of Faith was edifying for you. If it was, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. I always welcome questions, comments, and criticisms, and you can reach me on Twitter at Audio Confession. Have a great day, brothers and sisters, and join me next time as we go through the great confessions of the faith.